See, the gift of God is the gift of God's presence. This baby born in Bethlehem. Welcome to the Athens First UMC Sermons Podcast. I'm Sarah Lawing, Director of Online Productions. We hope you'll enjoy this weekly resource. This morning, we turn our attention to the Gospel of Matthew, the first chapter, beginning with verse 18 and continuing through verse 25. Whenever we read the various Gospels, we get a a little bit different perspective on the story. That is true with the birth of Christ. When we read Matthew and Luke, it's so slightly different. And of course, Mark does not include a birth narrative And John goes all the way back to creation in describing uh, the presence and the existence of Christ. And so today we turn to Matthew. Thursday we'll be looking at Luke 2, which is probably the more traditional telling of the story. But hear what the disciple Matthew had to say about the birth of Jesus. Now the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son. And he named him Jesus. Let us pray. The majesty and the mystery of this season, we acknowledge, O oh God, as Emmanuel. We don't completely understand it that you came to be with us. But help us to know a little bit more today. Help us to believe a little bit more today. And help us to embrace a little bit more today. Emmanuel, God is with us. Amen. The mystery of Christmas really is this distinction, is it not? That it is God Almighty and it is God Emmanuel. It is God above us 
and it is God among us. Sometimes that mystery is very difficult for me to completely understand. In fact, I don't. And I would imagine there are times when you struggle with it too, and you cannot get your head completely around it. I've often said if we know all the mysteries of God, then that presents us with a problem, because if we think we do, then we are indeed saying that we are God because there's no way to understand uh, all of the mystery of this season. This notion that, that Jesus is fully God and fully person. That's hard for us. And through the years as I've served various churches and known many, many different Christians, I've concluded that the harder thing for us, for most Christians, is really imagining, understanding, taking in that Jesus was fully human. Fully human. Somewhere along the way, we think, well, He was a little bit more divine, uh, a little bit more God than He was human. In other words, some of the things about His life are not identical to my life. They have to be a little bit different. For instance, if you take the temptation narrative, when Jesus went out into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights, and was hungry and was tempted. Was his temptation like our temptation? Did he experience temptation in the same way that we do? Now the Scripture says he, <clears throat> he experienced temptation like us. That's the, that is the testimony of the Bible. He was tempted as we are in all things. But I think when I raise that question with Christians, they often say, well, yeah, that's true, but come on. He didn't really experience it the way we do. He was not as drawn to it as we are, and yet we declare Him to have come in the flesh, incarnation. That, that God came in the form of a baby. So, so is this Jesus fully God or fully person? And of course we say both. But I think we hedge a little bit on the human side. Did He really need to be fed and burped? And did they really need to change the diaper? I kind of think they did. Yes. He worked in all likelihood in his father's carpenter shop for about, what, 25 years? Do you ever think he hit his thumb with a hammer? Do you ever think he blackened a fingernail and it fell off? Do you ever think he, he, he suffered in that carpenter shop a splinter in his finger and he had to work it out and it irritated him? and it pained him? Do you ever think that he suffered bumps and bruises? That he had headaches and stomach aches and back aches and ear aches and toothaches? Do you think he experienced those things and felt what that was like? Do you think he suffered bumps and bruises? That he cut his hand and bled like the rest of us do? Do you ever think that he was hungry and that he was tired? That he got mad and he got sad? See, I think all of those things are true. I think he experienced those things. And I think that's what makes him so invitational. I think that's what makes him so appealing to us. 
is that we know that He lived our lives, that He understands what this is all about, that He does identify and recognize our frustrations because He experienced those frustrations. What did He say to the disciples when He came down from the mountain of transfiguration? How long do I have to put up with you people? I think God says that to me most every day. I think there are times that He gets a little bit impatient with me and He wonders if I'm ever going to come around. I think there are times He got mad. I think He was mad in the temple when they were turning it into something that God never intended for it to be. I think He's fully God and fully human. See, the gift of God is the gift of God's presence. This baby born in Bethlehem. Do you remember those books you had to read in high school? There might have been a list of 25 and you had to read one or two and write a report on it. And every single one of them when you were 10th, 11th, 12th grade, whenever it was that you read those books, every single one of them bored you, didn't it? Well, I won't say that. Most of them bored you, didn't it? I remember choosing The Great Gatsby because I liked the title. I knew nothing about it. It may have been the most boring story in the history of humanity. I went to see the movie years and years later when I was an adult, and I still really didn't get it. But I certainly didn't get the book when I read it. I remember, though, reading Robinson Crusoe. Did anybody else read that book at that time in your life? Yeah, okay. Did you like it? Yeah, I mean, it was okay. It's not what it's cracked up to be. You know, they talk about it being in the Hall of Fame of books. I'm not sure about that. But there's certain things that I remember about that book. I thought it would be fascinating because this guy has a shipwreck and lands on an island and he's by himself uh, for a long time. You ever dream about being by yourself for a long time? Is that dream ever an appealing one? It is too, but you're lying about it today in church. Is that dream ever an unappealing one? You don't. It doesn't. It neither appeals or doesn't appeal to you. Are you alive? I mean, are you well? Are you thinking? Are you breathing? What are you doing? Does being alone for forty years appeal to you? Does being with someone for forty years appeal to you? Depends on who it is, I guess. But let's assume it's somebody you enjoy, you like their company. That's a little more appealing, I, I would think. But we all kind of enjoy being alone from time to time. So I thought the book would be fascinating, but it didn't fascinate me as much as I thought it might. But I do remember this this part of the book when Robinson Crusoe discovers a footprint in the sand. Remember that? He doesn't know who it is. He knows it's not his footprint because his foot doesn't fit in the print. And so he's left to wonder if this footprint signifies friend or foe. Is this someone who is safe or is this someone who is dangerous? And he wonders about that. If this company he now has on this island is someone with whom he can connect, someone who might care for him, or is it someone who wants to injure him or perhaps even kill him? 
And so he's left to wonder whether it's friend or foe. The, the beauty and the mystery of presence is if that presence is a blessing to us. But if not, then we're not quite so sure how we feel about that. Friend or foe. Of course, the message of Christmas is that love came down at Christmas. So this is not foe, this is friend. Karen Allen is a teacher at Buffalo University. She's a therapist. And with her, with people who make speeches, she, she experiments from time to time. And here's what she does. She asks you if you are, are invited to give talks from time to time. Uh, she will ask you to come and to give your speech for her. Someone you do not know. And she sits and she listens to you talk. And then she asks you questions about how stressful that was for you. And then she asks you to bring your spouse. And so she sits with your spouse. And when you finish, she asks certain questions about your stress level as you gave that same talk with her in the room and your spouse in the room. And then the third time she asks you to come back, she asks you to make that speech again, the same talk you gave to her and that you gave to her as well as your spouse. This time she asks you to bring your dog. And she sits with your dog and you give your speech to Karen Allen, this therapist, and your dog. And when you finish, she asks questions about that, the stress level of that experience. Guess what the lowest stress level is that the person experiences when they're giving that talk? The highest stress level is when you give the talk to Karen and your spouse. Because you think your spouse, you know, they're pulling for you, but I don't know, maybe they're kind of evaluating you too. You give your speech to Karen, and that's your second highest stress level because she doesn't really know you, but still you want to present yourself in a way that's positive, impressive. And the most relaxed you are is when you give that speech to Karen and your dog. Why is that? Because a dog is just less judgmental than we are. The dog is the most non-judgmental creature on this earth. The dog is the most forgiving creature on this earth. My dog's expression never really changes. I don't know if she's happy or sad. I just conclude she likes me because she never frowns at me. She may be thinking I'm an idiot. And, and it could be that if I stand up and speak to Karen and Lou, uh, I would think that Lou's loving what I'm doing and it would make me relax. It could be Lou's thinking. He makes an idiot out of himself every time he gets up to say something. Maybe that's what Lou is thinking, but that's not what comes into my mind because I'm convinced that Lou likes me. I'm convinced that Lou thinks I'm pretty special. Even though Lou just always looks at me like a basset hound looks at you. Just kind of like a hound dog. The gift of presence can be a powerful thing. 
it's the gift of Christmas. Sam Levinson is a humorist. He tells of he and his wife bringing their first child home for the first night. And he said for some reason when it came time to go to bed, they put the baby down and the baby did not want to go to sleep. This odd thing where the baby cried and they couldn't understand why the baby didn't want to go to sleep. And the baby cried and cried and cried. And his wife, she got out the book that tells you what to do. And she's reading through the book when you put a baby down and they cry what you do with them. Now, his mother-in-law was downstairs and she was there to be helpful, but they knew that she knew nothing about how to help a baby not cry when you put them down. They knew she knew very little about parenting, but they had her there anyway. And he said after the baby had cried for about five or ten minutes, they finally heard his mother-in-law downstairs. And here's what she said. Put down the book and pick up the baby. Put the book down and pick up the baby. Somewhere along the line you have to do that, don't you? You have to embrace the presence of that child in your family and in your life. And so you stop reading about how to do it and you just pick up the baby. And you begin to learn. Do you remember the first time you held your first baby? I wanted to hold that baby this morning so bad I could hardly stand it. I wanted to just reach out and grab old Cooper and say, we're going to do this the old-fashioned way. But that would not have been right. But I was not always that way. When I went to my first church, Monica was born two weeks later. And so I began learning how to hold a baby. But I can remember when I was a teenager and they would hand me a niece or a nephew and I'd be, they'd usually say, sit down on the sofa, hold your arms like this, we're going to lay it in there, be completely still, don't breathe while you hold the baby. And for goodness sakes, do not drop the baby. By the time they handed you the baby, you were scared to death. And I remember when George Williams delivered Monica, they wrapped her in swaddling clothes, but they didn't lay her in a manger. They walked over to me and said, this is your child. And I wasn't the least bit scared. That was my baby. (laughs) And I was so ready to welcome her into my life fully and completely. And it was a miracle because I looked at her in that first moment of life. She had never smiled at me. She had never made eye contact with me. I tell her now she wasn't terribly pretty. She was kind of wrinkly and red. But I looked at that baby. And if you had come into that delivery room and asked me, was I willing to give up everything for that baby? 
in the first 15 seconds of her life on this earth? I would have said, you betcha. I don't need to think about that. That's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing how you feel that immediately. I fell in love with Penny. I didn't fall in love with Monica. That was immediate. And so this baby comes into our lives. And we have to make a decision about that. Whether we're going to reach out and pick up that baby or not. God had tried so many things to convince us of God's love for us. We look at a sunrise or a sunset or a night sky. How can we not think that there is one behind that who cares for us? We go to the mountains and we take a deep breath of that air and we look over that mountainscape. How can we not be convinced of God's love for us? We drive to the beach and we stand on the sand and we look as far as our eyes can see to the horizon. The majesty of all of that water and we think, how can we not believe that God loves us? And then, and then God gave us the law to help us to know how to live, to help us to know how to relate to one another. And then God sent these people called prophets who spoke to us on behalf of God. But it wasn't until God sent this baby into Bethlehem that we dared to stretch out our hands and just take hold of God's love. Put down the book and pick up the baby. I think that's the message of this season. Chad Williams, sort of a YouTube sensation. When he was 19 years old, he was sitting in the parking lot of the community college he was flunking every class he was taking because he wasn't studying, he wasn't preparing. And he said, I was sitting in my car and I was thinking, am I going to go in and take this last final or not? I'm not prepared for it. I know I'm going to fail it. Is this the path I'm on and I'm going to remain on? That I'm just going to go to college and I'm going to eventually flunk out? Am I going to spend my wills and not be a responsible person? This is a moment of decision. And he said, as I sat in my pickup truck and I thought about that as a 19-year-old kid, go in and flunk another test or do something else with your life. He said, I sat there and I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be a Navy SEAL. Never thought about being a Navy SEAL. Didn't really know what a Navy SEAL did, but I'd heard of them. So I decided in that parking lot I was going to be a Navy SEAL. I, got, I drove home, didn't take the test. My dad came home and said, how'd you do on your final? I said, well, I didn't take it. He said, what do you mean you didn't take it? He said, well, I didn't take it. I'm going to be a Navy SEAL. Really? Thinking about being a Navy SEAL, son. He said, well, Chad, I'm going to call somebody. Let them talk with you about that. 
So his dad went on the computer and he Googled a Navy SEAL in the area. Happened to be one. This Navy SEAL was the record holder for the obstacle course with Navy SEALs. He would be killed in Fallujah several years later. So his dad called this fellow and said, would you come by uh, or meet my son somewhere and talk with him about what it is to be a Navy SEAL? And he said, yeah, I'll be glad to. So he called Chad and he said, I'll see you in the morning at 5 o'clock on the beach. Be there and don't be late. So they met on the beach the next day and he said this guy just about killed him. But he said somewhere in that experience, he wanted to be a Navy SEAL. So he applied and he passed the course and he became a Navy SEAL. And he served the country for a number of years as a SEAL. He said when his career in the Navy had finished, he had direction to his life. He had a sense of commitment. Uh, He was responsible. He had learned the lessons of being a Navy SEAL and they paid off in his life. But he said he and his girlfriend decided to go to church one night and they were sitting in the church as a guy named Greg Laurie was talking. And Chad said Greg was talking about a guy named Naaman in the Bible. And he said Naaman was a soldier. Naaman had leprosy. And there was a servant girl who told Naaman, if you'll go to Israel to Elisha, I believe he can do something about this. And so Naaman packed up with all of his servants and he went to Israel and he found Elisha. And when he called out to Elisha, Elisha's servant came out on the front porch of his house and said, yeah, Naaman, we knew you were coming. Go down to the Jordan River and wash and you'll be cleansed. And Naaman was furious about it. He thought, I've come all this way and I have rivers in my country much cleaner than the Jordan River and your instruction to me is to go dip in the Jordan River a few times and my skin will be cleansed. I'm not doing that. And Chad said as he sat there that night and Greg Laurie continued with that story, he said Naaman needed to lay his pride down. And he needed to lay all of his medals and his awards from his military life down. And he needed to be able to surrender and go dip in the Jordan. And Chad said, as I was sitting there that night listening to that story, I knew that being a Navy SEAL had given me so much. But I knew there was still something it had not given me. And I knew what that was. And so that night I laid my medals down and I laid my pride on the altar of God. And I picked up that baby. And I've been holding on ever since. It's easy to hide from Christmas. It's easy to 
to fill these days with good things. Gifts and food and family. It'll likely be different this year on some level. I've thought about that and don't misunderstand what I'm saying, but maybe that'll be good for us in the long run. Because you see, as important as our family is, and as important as that meal is around that table, and as much as we enjoy giving and receiving those gifts, we know that the essence of Christmas is is not that. We may even take opportunities during this time of year to serve in ways we don't normally serve, and that is a good and wonderful thing. But we still know that that's being a Navy SEAL, but something is still missing. You see, there comes that time when we just simply need to put down everything. And we need to pick up that baby. And we need to look into the face of that baby and know that that's the face of God. We need to receive this most excellent gift, this extraordinary expression of God's love for us. We need to look into the face of that baby and know that there is a presence from which we can never be separated. This Christmas, enjoy the gifts and the decorations. I will. Enjoy the food and the fellowship. I will. But keep the main thing the main thing. Make sure you put down everything and you pick up that child who's called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus, Jesus, hope and joy in a baby boy. Come to love and come to free us, all the world, every boy and girl, all are singing glory, glory in the highest. Christ is born, oh Christ is glory, glory in the highest.
Thanks for listening. To listen to more sermons, read past devotions, or look up opportunities on how to connect, visit us at AthensFirstUMC.org. Stay in touch with us throughout the week by following us on Instagram or Facebook at AthensFirstUMC. Oh, Christ is born, oh Christ is born.